We remain standing for the reading of the gospel, Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Out of the brutal times of World War II when the Nazis were the scourge of Europe, indeed, of the world, a little girl hid in the attic with her parents, and she kept track of what she thought and felt. It's called the Diary of Anne Frank. That little girl seared the conscience of a world, and she wrote something pertinent to us as the Nazis had found them and were breaking down the door to the attic, her father said, for the last two years we have lived in fear. Now we can live in hope. The first readers of Mark's gospel were a people living in fear who desperately needed some hope. They were hiding from Nero's hate. You might find them grouped together in some darkened home with maybe only a candle casting their shadows on the wall, the smell of their own fear choking the air in the room, people whose homes have been sacked, their children tortured, their leaders murdered, their books censored, people whose minds wanted to know, don't you care that we're dying here? And so Mark tells a story of Jesus and his disciples getting in a rickety boat and getting caught in an angry sea and Jesus commanding peace. And I think he wrote it so they could see themselves in that story. And now much later, I wonder if we can see ourselves in that story. I'm not sure they were happy with what Mark told them. And it'll be up to us to decide if we're happy with Mark telling us the same things. It starts out with this, well, let's go to the other side. It notes that it was after sunset. You don't sail the seas in the dark. I can't imagine how the sailors among them reacted, but I kind of imagine some sailor-like language. 
Wouldn't it be easier just to stay here, wait a little longer till tomorrow? Couldn't we just sit here and watch TV tonight? Couldn't I just stick with the theology I know? Well, I know it's not enough. I know it's inadequate, but I really don't know what's on the other side, Jesus. I hear there are other side people over there and a whole bunch of experiences I'm not sure that I want. But the invitation hangs in the air to step out of your familiar ways of thinking and behaving into this new adventure. Oh, I wonder if they could have foreseen what was ahead. I wonder if they'd gotten into the boat. I wonder if I would have. Quite some time ago now, my home church used to emphasize how we were called the full-time Christian service. I think that was the phrase. At 17 years of age, I said that I was. But I wonder if I'd have gotten into the boat if I could have seen all that I have seen. That in my journey, I have discovered more human suffering that my suburban bubble allowed me to even know existed. If I had known then about facing the truthful accusations about my own prejudices or the strain of constantly expanding an understanding of who it is I'm called to love, or the pain of realizing my own need for healing, realizing my own ignorance of just about everything, actually. And this intimidating call to keep learning from every living human document I see and meet. I wonder if that 17-year-old boy would have gotten into the boat. Once on the other side, they meet different people. It starts with a wild man screaming in a graveyard. There's a sad sight of a woman debilitated by chronic illness. The wrenching sight of a dying child. The challenge to feed a hungry crowd. With with what? And it was the life of being crowded around by sick and desperate people everywhere. And always facing their own inadequacy, their own inability to make a difference, their own prejudices the limits of their own thinking, the limits of their own hearts. And yet somewhere in there, sensing, getting it, this is why I've come into the world. This is what God calls me to. This is what the love of God is about. And the early church went about their mission. But then came the opposition and the persecution and the taunts and the rocks, and the arrests, and the torture, and the fear, and the anxiety that dogged every step. They're indeed people tossed about in an angry sea in the dark. And they wondered, does God even care? And Mark's story shows a picture of Jesus asleep on the job. 
They wake him. And he says, peace, be still. And there is a great calm. It's a reminder of the Genesis story of creation where there is this chaos and the spirit broods over that and calls forth order. A reminder of their heritage, a reminder of the spirit that calls forth order in their lives. It helps them to see that love and forgiveness is the way. It's a reminder. But in that calm, there are questions. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? For crying out loud, are these questions you ask people you just saved from drowning? Is it what we say to people suffering persecution? People tormented by doubt? And yet, what if I ask myself those questions? Why am I afraid? Have I no faith? In May, I retired after 25 years of hospice work, working with the dying. It stripped something from me, the luxury of denial. And every birthday is a reminder, and every pain a prediction. And I am afraid because in our national scene we are losing our way as a people. When officials say want wah to a Down syndrome 10-year-old who happens to be part of an immigrant family. And I am afraid when TV commentators say, well, hey, the children at our border, they're not our children. They're not from Idaho or Montana. And I am afraid because I hear so much fear. People afraid of losing their place economically. People afraid of losing their status as majority. And out of fear denying a place, a possibility to another. Living out this theology of scarcity. I don't have enough. There's not enough. I have to harbor what I got. And I am afraid because I hear the name-calling and the bullying and the lying. And I fear where it takes us as a people down a road to hatred and suspicion and division. Down that road where insults turn into rocks and rocks into bullets. I am afraid because the powerful quote the Bible to justify their evil, as did previous generations justifying slavery. And I am afraid. Because of my own dark temptation to discouragement and despair. But have I no faith? Have I no faith if I'm less committed to love and kindness because things are harsh and ugly? Have I no faith if I stop speaking truth because the powerful lie? Or if I see the suffering of the poor, the plight of the homeless, the ravages of war, how can I claim to have faith if all I do is change the channel? 
Have I no faith? When living by faith calls me to sacrifice or puts me at risk, and I choose a plush pew and a few bucks in the plate, And if I'm silent when a human being is abused and degraded and dehumanized, where is my claim to being a follower of Jesus, the one who proclaimed good news to the poor and the recovering of sight to the blind, the setting at liberty those who are oppressed? Tough questions and tough times. But they get to the very heart of who we are. I think they did that to Mark's readers, too. And they're asked in this story of a miracle. When I was growing up, we didn't ask those questions. We just focused on the miracle. Jesus calms all of our seas. We might like to overlook the miracle. But I would remind us we can predict the weather, but we don't control it. In Leif Inger's book, Peace Like a River, there's a character, Reuben Land, who says this. People fear miracles because they fear being changed. Though ignoring them will change you also. For people tossed about in the angry sea of Nero's persecution... Here is the picture of the one who can do what Nero cannot. The miracle says the ultimate power belongs to God. Don't let the storms, don't let the fears change who you are. The miracle changes us with its call to courage. Ignoring it changes us too. It leaves us back on the other side of the sea in fear and without hope. I recently had a conversation with a person I think of great faith, a lifetime of service, in very difficult places. And now, multiple health concerns major health concerns, worries for loved ones. And they said, I want to pray for a miracle, meaning to be well. And then paused and hesitated and let that pass and said, but I guess what I really want to know is if everything will be okay. Mark's story here is about everything being in the hands of God Ultimately, but it is not an exemption from risk or from suffering, but is a call to follow Jesus, come what may, to love, even in the difficult times, maybe especially in those times. Amen.